Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Great to have you back with us again this week for The Frittle Show. Thanks for being here. I'm Crystal Heath. This is my program where I talk about whatever I want because it's my program. You too can have a podcast and talk about whatever you want. Hit me up on Facebook or Twitter at The Frittle and I'd be happy to help you get that started. Today's program is once again about the Supreme Court because we just are collectively freaking out as a nation because the the <laughs> the left is wringing their hands over Republicans and how they're trying to nominate ACB and how they've stacked the courts all through Trump's administration and the right is wringing their hands over how Democrats plan to stack the court and how Biden refuses to answer that question which by the way that should really concern you, even if you plan on voting for the guy. Not to mention all of the Hunter Biden stuff that came out this week. I mean, our national media and Nancy Pelosi, what was it, five years now? Five years they've spent, approximately, trying to invent some foreign influence, trumped-up charge, if you will, on the Trump campaign, and they find nothing. And then as soon as we get actual evidence of a Ukrainian businessman who thanks Hunter Biden for brokering a meeting between himself and the then Vice President Joe Biden, the media and Nancy Pelosi don't, they just don't seem to care about that. Jordan Rachel over at Turning Point pointed out that Donald Trump got impeached for something Joe Biden actually did. And he got investigated for three years for something Hillary Clinton actually did. Not that they did the things that Donald Trump, uh, not like the actual activities themselves, but the they did the actions that Donald Trump was accused of doing and didn't do. They did, but yeah, anyway. And then we had Facebook and Twitter actively suppressing reports this week uh, about the whole Hunter Biden thing. Even though, you know, and they're like, well, because it violates our terms of service. They were obtained, you know, da 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 No, 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 no. No Twitter. No Jack. When Donald Trump's tax returns were leaked unlawfully, they were amplified by Twitter. Hunter Biden's emails come out, acquired lawfully, and they're censored by Twitter. And then you had Axios this week, which, by the way, is not a right-wing publication. They had a headline this week, which is it's, it's 100% accurate. Joe Biden is the luckiest, least scrutinized frontrunner. They pointed out that since August, Biden has answered less than half as many questions from the press as Trump. 365 compared to 753. The Biden campaign did not dispute that with Axios. They said that the media's obsession with Trump and Trump's compulsion to dominate the news has allowed Biden to purposely and persistently minimize public appearances and tough questions. He went almost three months without taking any questions from beat reporters. And in the time... That, uh, that we have not been seeing Biden answer questions. He hasn't been pinned down on any of the array of legitimate questions presented to him, including 
justices for the Supreme Court, which we're going to get to in a minute, uh, Medicare for all, police funding, Pentagon spending, fracking, reparations, the Green New Deal, his support for the 1994 crime bill. These are all things that we the people should have an answer on from Joe Biden. And we are not getting anything. So you have that headline from Axios. And that's, I think this came out, I'm pretty sure this came out before, yeah, before the whole Hunter Biden thing even happened, or broke that story, Joe Biden, the luckiest, least scrutinized front runner. But okay, I've got to stop and get back on the topic because this is not the here's the myriad of reasons Joe Biden is bad for America, not the least of which is the fun fact that Kamala will probably actually end up being your president, and that's what invoking the 25th Amendment is actually probably about. But again... I need to control my tongue. Focus, Crystal. Focus, because today we're talking about the Supreme Court. Okay. Amy Comey Barrett. This woman. Wow. Mother, professor, brilliant legal mind. I am beyond impressed with her. So who is she? Let's not ask Fox News. Let's ask the New York Times, shall we? New York Times had a piece. Rooted in faith, Amy Comey Barrett represents a new conservatism. As Judge Barrett's confirmation hearings are set to begin Monday, her background and resume are a stark departure from those of the more traditional nominees to the Supreme Court. All right, so I'm going to skip through some of this um, because it's not relevant to to our conversation just now, but I would encourage you to go read the whole article at the New York Times. You can get it as part of the, the free... Uh, the free access, as long as you haven't viewed more than your weekly free access. If you ever try to read the New York Times, you know what I'm talking about. But anyhow. Um, I want to get down to middle of this article. Okay. They're talking, the, the authors are talking about Judge Barrett uh, is, is being... Uh, is being nominated at the Rose Garden. At that announcement, Mr. Trump, who in 2016 promised to appoint justices who would overturn the federal right to an abortion, presented Judge Barrett to an audience of prominent conservatives, including the evangelist Franklin Graham, the Fox News personality Laura Ingram, and the widow of Justice Antonin Scalia, for whom she had clerked. Their enthusiastic response was a ratification of Mr. McGon's conviction. The, the, the early parts of the article talk about a gentleman that had vetted her, essentially, in the past and was hoping she would be on the Supreme Court. Uh, shared by his successor as White House counsel, Pat Capoli, and the president himself that selecting Judge Barrett for the court would be an election year statement to his most loyal supporters, social conservatives, and members of the religious right. She seems like she was tailor-made for this moment, said Carrie Severino, the president of the Judicial Crisis Network, a powerful lobby on behalf of conservative judicial nominees. Justices Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, Mr. Trump's two previous nominees, had the kind of background traditional for Supreme Court nominees of both parties, featuring Ivy League schools and government jobs on their resumes, as well as establishment religious beliefs. Judge Barrett embodies a different kind of conservatism. Judge Barrett is from the South and Midwest. Her career has been largely spent teaching while raising seven children, including two adopted from Haiti and one with Down syndrome, and living according to her faith. She has made no secret of her beliefs on divisive social, social issues such as abortion. A deeply religious woman, her roots are in a populist movement of charismatic Catholicism. And then it, it talks about the, the charismatic, uh, uh, they try to explain charismatic um, 
movements in general. And then the, they say this, the group has a strict view of human sexuality that embraces once traditional gender roles, such as recognizing the husband as the head of the family. The Barretts, however, describe their marriage as a partnership. Mm-hmm. To Judge Barrett's critics, she represents the antithesis of the progressive values embodied in Justice Ginsburg. Her life spent in a cocoon of like-minded thinking that in many areas runs counter to the views of a majority of Americans. She has made clear she believes that life begins at conception and has served in leadership roles for people of praise. They talk about that earlier as one of the groups she's been affiliated with religiously. And her children's school has said in its handbook that marriage is between a man and a woman. Her judicial opinions indicate broad support for gun rights and an expanded role for religion in public life. Amy Cohen Barrett is everything the current incarnation of the conservative legal movement has been working for. Someone whose record and the litmus tests of the president nominating her suggest will overturn Roe, strike down the ACA, bend the law toward big business interests, and make it harder to vote. Elizabeth B. Weiger, the president of the Liberal Constitutional Accountability Center, said, referring to the Affordable Care Act. The Senate Judiciary Committee... Uh, da, 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 um... They talk about the cases that could be heard. Uh, she will represent a rising conservatism subtly different from what the court's five other Republican appointees embody. If you think about the conservative coalition as being traditional business conservatives, libertarian and Christian conservatives, Christian conservatives have always been the outlier in that equation, said Joshua C. Wilson, a political scientist at the University of Denver who has studied the way political and social movements use law in the pursuit of political ends. She has the credentials and experience of traditional secular conservative lawyers that are familiar with the Federalist Society, but she is also firmly related to and representative of the elite ranks of the emergent Christian conservative conservative legal movement. Judge Barrett's six siblings will be present for her hearing. Da, 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 da. Let me go on. Talks about her family being there. Da, da, da. For Judge Barrett, that vision comes from a deep sense of calling, one rooted in family and faith, and one that began uh, before she was born. And then they talk about her uh, growing up and uh, her years her childhood years, her teenage years, and so on and so forth. You guys seriously should go and read this article. It's a fantastic, fantastic article. But anyway, uh, after a course on constitutional criminal procedure... Um, Miss uh, Coney discovered a legal approach that resonated. Originalism, or the practice of interpreting the Constitution according to what it meant when it was adopted. She said, I wasn't familiar when I entered law school with originalism as a theory, but I found myself, as I read more and more cases, becoming more and more convinced that the opinions that I read that took the originalist approach were right. She graduated at the top of her class and received an award for the highest academic achievement. And this, this article goes on. I want to drop down, I want to see if I can find one more... Uh, one more piece for you. Uh, Antonin Scalia uh, was sent a message from her professor saying that she was the best student that uh, that he had ever had. But that's not... I want to get to... Uh, she gave a piece of advice. Let me see if I can find it here. Oh, here we go. This is the last I'm going to read from this article. But seriously, you need to go and read the whole article because it is a fantastic... Uh, it's, it's just it's so good. You're going to love it. Um, in a 2006 commencement address, she gave the students three pieces of advice. Pray before accepting a new job. Give away 10% of what you earn to church, charity, or friends in need. Choose a parish with an active community and commit yourself to cultivating relationships there. 
She said, it's only when you're an independent operator that your career takes over. She said, when your life is placed firmly within a web of relationships, it is much easier to keep your career in its proper place. I'm telling you, you guys, you need to go and read this article. Rooted in Faith, Amy Comey Barrett represents a new conservatism. But I want to back up towards the beginning of what we were talking about. Because uh, what you are seeing, if you read through this article, particularly in the beginning, they point out that when it comes to conservatism, Christian conservatives have been the outlier. And she is firmly related to and representative of the elite ranks of the emergent Christian conservative legal movement. Talks about how she's different from those that have the mainstream religious feelings of the others on the court. She's not like business conservatives or libertarians. She's, she's one of those Christian conservatives. And that's important for you to think about. Okay, because they're saying that she's different and that that difference is what concerns them. That difference is what they are worried about. She's dangerous to the left because she's a Christian who actually believes what the Bible says. Or should I say a conservative who is a Christian who actually believes what the Bible says. And, you know, that traditional stuff. And that is the traditional stuff that to them makes her dangerous. I mean, the, the woman raised seven children while teaching as a professor in Notre Dame. But, oh my goodness, though they say their marriage is a partnership, their religious affiliations say that those antiquated things about the man being the head of the house. Who? Yes, feminists, clearly the woman who raised seven children while teaching at Notre Dame and serving on an appellate court has been oppressed because of misogyny. If only her life were not so terrible, she could do great things like serve on the Supreme Court. I mean, seriously, people, we should be celebrating this woman. She is absolutely incredible. And at the hearing this past week, she used zero notes. She took zero notes. She maintained her composure through ridiculous questions like, have you raped anyone? I mean, what, what is that? Like, imagine if a debate moderator had asked Kamala Harris that question. Imagine the outrage. Okay, I'm just saying we should be... We should be consistent then. People say, well, it is consistent because it was asked of Brett Kavanaugh. No, 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 no. No, if you're going to ask that question to Amy Comey Barrett, then that question should be asked to Kamala Harris. I mean, come on. Or should I say, come on, man. But even beyond that, Kamala, let's, just, let's talk about Kamala for a second. Kamala does the video questioning. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to curb my sarcasm. <sighs> okay. I need to just pause for a second here. All right. Kamala calls in to do video questioning, and it was just, it was absurd. It was not about finding out if Judge Barrett is a good judge who interprets the Constitution as it is meant to be interpreted and applies the Constitution as it is meant to be applied. No, that's not what it was about. This was a campaign ad. This was Kamala Harris trying to have some gotcha moments to be able to say, look, see what Trump is trying to do with his nominee? Even though, you know, they won't tell us who their nominees would be. But it was, it was a campaign ad. And some of this stuff, I mean, it's just good grief. Actually, you know what? I'm going to let you listen to one part. If, in, case you, in case you miss this, I want you to hear uh, a part of this questioning that will help you understand what I'm talking about here. Hang on one second. Let me get it pulled up. 
Okay, here, I got it. Listen, listen to this. Um, do you accept that COVID-19 is infectious? Um, I, I think, yes, I do accept that COVID-19 is infectious, that that's something of which I feel like, you know, we could say you take judicial notice of. It's an obvious fact, yes. Do you accept that smoking causes cancer? I'm not sure exactly where you're going with this, but you know, the, the notice that it's smoking just a causes- question. The question is what it is. You can answer it if you believe. Um, no. <laughs> Senator Harris, yes, every package of cigarettes warns that smoking causes cancer. And do you believe that climate change is happening and is threatening um, the air we breathe and the water we drink? Um, Senator, again, I was wondering where you were going with that. Um, you have asked me a series of questions like that are completely uncontroversial, like whether COVID-19 is infectious, whether smoking causes cancer, and then trying to analogize that to eliciting an opinion on me that is a very contentious matter, opinion from me that is on a very contentious matter of public debate. And I will not do that. I will not express a view on a matter of public policy, especially one that is politically controversial because that's inconsistent with the judicial role, as I have explained. Thank you. Thank you, Judge Barrett. And, and you've made your point clear that you believe it's a debatable point. And, and you can go and you can watch Kamala's whole questioning of this, but this is just outrageous, you guys. Like, she was so smug. And I don't mean to be rude here, but no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. All I'm going to say is that ACB is one of the most accomplished women I have ever heard of. And Kamala Harris is there being all snide. Like, what? what is this? What in the world does climate change have to do with serving on the Supreme Court? Why are you trying to have this gotcha moment? Why are you not trying to find out if she governs, a, or if she, not governs, if she makes decisions and determinations based upon the Constitution and legal precedent? Not your opinion about climate change. She's like, let me set you up with, oh, so you believe in that COVID-19 is, is infectious and you believe that smoking causes cancer, but you don't believe in No, the whole thing was literally a Biden-Harris commercial. Quite frankly, I'm at the point where, you know what, I don't, if, if Joe Biden becomes president, okay, whatever. I, I, I'm not a fan and I'll tell you in a few weeks, I've got a, a podcast coming up that some of you are really going to like. I'll, I'll explain who I'm voting for and why, okay? But I fear for my country if Kamala Harris ever sits behind the Resolute desk. Am I allowed to say that because I'm a woman or am I not allowed to have an opinion on her because I don't, I, I don't know. But she comes across as angry and as bitter and her record of service is, shall we say, less than stellar. Yes, I understand that Trump is not like this beacon of... of graciousness and gentlemanliness. I, I never said that. But it, you, I don't know how you could possibly not <laughs> see that Kamala is angry and bitter. I, I, I agree. Trump is no gentleman. And he is not gracious. I'm, I'm right there. But if you want to sit there and tell me that Kamala is some sort of impressive, accomplished woman, no, she's not. Look at her record in California. It's abysmal. It is abysmal. That is why she was one of the first people to drop out of the Democratic presidential primary. Guys, this, this woman, you do not want her as your president. And if Joe Biden becomes president, Kamala Harris will be your president. I believe that with my whole heart. I, but, okay, I did a whole podcast on Kamala, talking about her record and all of that. I'm, so I'm not, I'm not going to go rehash all that now. You can go back and listen to it. But this woman is not a moderate. 
Okay, and that's what they're pushing with Joe Biden. I don't believe Joe Biden is moderate, but at least he pretends to be. And quite frankly, I'm also not even sure that Joe Biden would try to stack the courts, but I would be shocked if Kamala did not. Anyway, ACB is smarter than me. Anybody that watched these hearings probably would be willing to admit that she's smarter than them, too. This woman is incredible. And it, just, it was so refreshing. Instead of hearing about fake parties and phony scandals, even though they tried to get some hit there, we have seen over and over again this past weekend honest, competent, hardworking, successful mom and legal mind demonstrate how a no-nonsense judge would handle a, a seat on the Supreme Court. And adding her to the Supreme Court is not court packing or court stacking, whichever term you've heard used. What Democrats have suggested is court packing. Biden has failed to comment in this campaign on court packing. Democrats have attempted to redefine what court packing means in recent days. So let me try to break this down for you, okay? The, uh, Politico had a piece by a guy named Jeff Greenfield. It's called How Democrats Could Pack the Supreme Court in 2021. And he said this. He said, it's true that Congress can shape the size of the court to its political desires. In 1866, with Congress at permanent war with President Andrew Johnson, it passed the Judicial Circus Act. Circuits, not circus. <laughs> Which cut the size of the court from nine to seven and barred Johnson from appointing any new justices. After Ulysses Grant was elected president in 1868, the number was bumped back up to nine, where it has remained ever since. So... The, I, I've had lots of questions about this recently and people saying, well, how long has it been this way? Is this in the Constitution? And so on and so forth. The Constitution does not say thou shaltest have nine justices on the Supreme Court. It doesn't say that. So you could add more justices, but there is precedent for this. For the majority of our country's existence, we have had uh, this number of justices since 1868. So that's a long time. I can't do the math right now in my head again. Morning brain. Apologies. Also puppy brain. I have puppies at my house. Yay. Um, but when it comes to the court, back to Greenfield's piece, when it comes to the court, there are and have been institutional concerns that have trumped the simple exercise of political power. The most famous example was the effort by President Franklin Roosevelt in 1937 to deal with a court that was striking down much of his New Deal legislation. After his landslide re-election in 1936, he proposed to add one justice for every judge who'd reached the age of 70, up to a total of 15. It was the nine old men, political folklore had it, who were thwarting the president. Despite his popularity and the overwhelming control of Congress by Democrats, the proposal became the first political defeat of FDR's presidency, and it came at the hands of his own party. His own vice president, John Garner, fought it. The Democratic leader in the Senate rejected it. Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes, responding to the urgings of liberal court-packing foe Montana Senator Burton Wheeler, wrote a public letter saying that contrary to FDR's concerns, the court was not overworked at all. Thank you very much. The proposal died in Congress before a vote was taken. Today, one of the more significant institutional voices against expanding the courts is Joe Biden. In July of last year, July 2019, Joe Biden said, we'll live to rue that day if the court is expanded. And in a debate, he said it would lead to round after round of expansion and the court would lose all credibility. Senator Bernie Sanders, no stranger to radical ideas, has also said he doesn't want to pack the court, so has the more moderate Michael Bennett.
right? So that's from Politico. This is not a right-wing organization, again, okay? Then, so that's essentially some of the history of the thing, but the most concise, precise piece I have seen on this, it takes things further than what Greenfield did at Politico. Uh, Chris Talgo wrote at The Hill, he said, will Democrats attempt to pack the Supreme Court again? This is his piece. In 2019, the New York Times, again, last year, the New York Times asked Senator Kamala Harris, are you open to expanding the size of the Supreme Court? Harris responded, I'm absolutely open to it. That same year, Harris told Politico, we are on the verge of a crisis of confidence in the Supreme Court. We have to take this challenge head on and everything is on the table to do that. By everything on the table, Harris was surely alluding to adding more Supreme Court justices, also known as court packing. In fairness, Harris's running mate has historically opposed court packing. However, when recently asked, Joe Biden responded, It's a legitimate question, but let me tell you why I'm not going to answer that question, because it will shift all the focus. And then here again in Las Vegas, I believe it was last week, he said that voters don't have the right to know what he would do with the Supreme Court. That's an that's a add-in to the Hills article, by the way. Back to the article. By not answering, Biden is answering. And it doesn't take a genius to guess that he would be open to it, considering that many in his party are all in on court packing. Following the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the likelihood that President Trump will appoint and the U.S. Senate will confirm Ginsburg's replacement, the issue of court packing has catapulted to the forefront of the Democrats' 2020 campaign agenda. Almost immediately after Ginsburg's passing, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said everything is on the table. With Schumer leading the way, several of his fellow Democrats have already pledged their support for adding justices to the Supreme Court should their party gain control of the Senate and White House this fall. That prospect should send a shiver down the spine of any American who believes in the notion of equal justice under the law, which is the phrase prominently displayed above the entrance to the U.S. Supreme Court. Since 1869, the U.S. Supreme Court has seated nine justices. Although it is not written into the Constitution that the nation's highest court must contain nine justices, this number has been the norm for more than 150 years. In 1937, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was known to buck tradition and ignore precedents, attempted to add more justices to the Supreme Court. After the court ruled that many of FDR's New Deal programs were unconstitutional, which they were, FDR grew frustrated and floated the idea of adding up to six new justices. In one way, FDR's attempted court packing scheme was a monumental flop. It immediately invoked a backlash from members of Congress, including many in FDR's party. Long story short, FDR's vision of a 15-member, mostly liberal Supreme Court never came to fruition. However, in an unexpected way, FDR's court-packing attempt paid major dividends for him. Following his failed attempt to remake the court in his liberal image, coincidentally or not, it just so happened that the court began ruling in favor of FDR's New Deal programs. By threatening to upend the court, many historians argue that the justices kowtowed to FDR's agenda, allowing unconstitutional laws to be upheld to protect the court and their careers in some instances from further threats from FDR or any future president. The moral of the story is simple. By threatening to pack the court with liberal justices who would be sympathetic to his New Deal legislation, FDR was able to seemingly coerce sitting justices to toe the liberal line. Now, almost 80 years later, parallels abound. In its upcoming session this fall, the Supreme Court is likely to rule on a plethora of Obama-era laws and regulations. From Obamacare to environmental regulations, many on the left are worried that these laws will be ruled unconstitutional by the court as it currently stands. Such is why Democratic leaders from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Representative AOC are calling for court packing as soon as they have the power to do so.
Obviously, they hope they will be victorious across the board this November so they can pull this off before the court has the opportunity to rule on any of these matters. However, this is a dangerous game. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If the Democrats are willing to blow up a sacred institution for political ends, you can bet your bottom dollar that this will instigate a new era of dysfunction in the nation's capital. It is likely that this would force the GOP's hand to employ similar tactics. After all, we should not forget that it was Democrats who did away with the 60-vote threshold to appoint federal judges when they controlled the upper chamber in 2013. Ironically, this has allowed the GOP to secure the current vacancy with a majority vote, which they would not have been able to do had the Democrats not changed the rules while they were in power. Yet I doubt Schumer, Pelosi, AOC, Harris, or even Biden will learn their lesson from their past error in judgment. Judging by, the re- uh, the, judging by their recent rhetoric, it seems that they are more willing to double down and up the ante. The big question is, will Americans give them the opportunity to carry out their court-packing plan? Okay, so that is what court-packing is. The confusion on this issue has come because Joe Biden has refused to say whether he would pack the court or not, and this isn't sitting well with voters, and it shouldn't. So Biden won't answer, and the left has noticed that by not answering, they've been losing the argument, and so they've attempted to change the meaning of the words and say that Trump and Republicans have been packing the court by filling vacancies. So if Trump and Republicans can do it, then of course we're going to do it. The problem is that filling vacancies is not court packing. Adding seats is court packing. Filling vacancies, not court packing. Adding seats that were not previously there, court packing. All right, let's we'll do this one more time. Filling vacancies, not court packing. Adding seats that were not previously there, court packing. When it comes to ACB, the GOP is currently filling a vacancy and in a constitutional manner that is available to them because of Democrat rulings in the past. You can listen to my podcast on the, I think it's called SCOTUS Seat Successor Scandal, and I explain the details of all that there. But to the contrary, court stacking, okay? So there's, GOP is trying to fill a vacancy constitutionally because of a Democrat ruling that allows them to do so. But on the contrary, court packing is so radical that even Bernie Sanders opposed it. And Joe Biden, as recently as last year, opposed it. And in 1983, he called it a bonehead idea. And FDR, potentially the most liberal president, well, that's debatable, I guess, but FDR's own party, which had overwhelming control of, of, of the swamp, if you will, stopped him from doing it. So, we've got to wrap up, summarize today's podcast. Are you ready? Here we go. First of all, ACB, Amy Comey Barrett, is brilliant. She will be an incredible justice of the Supreme Court because she is an originalist who is devoted to interpreting and applying our Constitution as it was meant by those who wrote it. Republicans are not packing the court. Trump has not packed any courts. But Joe Biden and Kamala Harris refused to answer not only who they would appoint to the Supreme Court, but if they would pursue packing the Supreme Court. There's a big difference between the two. So now you know the rest of the story. Thanks so much for being with us. It has been great having this conversation with you. If that was helpful or if it was not helpful or if you're like, okay, yeah, but what about this? Let me know on Facebook or Twitter, at The Friddle. You can find me at either one. My public page is there. And if you uh, send me a tweet or send me a, leave a comment on my Facebook page, I will attempt to answer those questions. 
and uh, maybe even bring them up in our next podcast. So thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. And we will be back with you again next week. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone.